Never forced, never coursed. Open discussions about things in life that matter to you most. From tech to TV, movies, and gaming, and everything in between. Visit voluntaryinput.com to subscribe, contact us, and find out how you can support the show. Catch new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Voluntary Input. All right, Jason, I want to welcome you back to the show. How have you been, sir? I've been good, Leo. What about you? Oh, I've, I've been good. Um, since the last time you were here, the first of all, the last time you were here, got some great feedback from a lot of folks. They love the episode. And from time to time, people would say, hey, I'd like to hear from that guy again. So I said, <laughs> OK, I'll reach out to him because I would like to hear from him again as well considering some of the things that have been going on. Yeah. But before we dive in too far, for those who may have not caught the first episode, can you explain to everyone a little bit about who you are? Sure. So my name is Jason Sheftel, and I'm a China specialist in part, and I have a book coming out about China, basically how this country became what it is, how it modernized, and how this really, really awful collapse is impending. And... I've been more uh, hesitant to speak on all this stuff, but with the way Russia, Ukraine, all these things are spiraling, everyone who's listening this time is going to get the full dose of really what's coming. So it should be fun. Gris- gruesome, but fun. Yeah, that last time I, I kept saying on the last episode, you weren't, you, you weren't giving me fuzzy feelings about talking about the collapse of communist China. But it seems like... It only was a couple months later that the the war in Ukraine broke out. And then China's name kept popping up as this was going on. Can you explain a little bit, how does China, Russia, and Ukraine tie together? Sure. So let's take the, the the big picture here, right? The U.S. and Russia and the Western Europe and Russia never got along. And what happened in the 1990s is this, this, the Cold War ended, Soviet Union collapsed, and we tried to bring everybody together, right? We had a whole divided world. We had walls everywhere. And so the idea, let's bring the, you know, the big bad boys of the global community into the fold, right? Let's try and do something new. And so the big, the bad, big bad boys are Russia and China, and this is who it is, right? And the way it kind of panned out is that in the 90s, we had Russia and China both had a role to play. So what Russia did was provide inputs. It provided gas, oil, everything. I mean, all sorts of minerals and metals, and it provided that to the rest of the world really cheaply. And it's a massive country. It's the largest country on earth, doesn't have that much industry, doesn't have many people relative to its size. So it could just spew resources to the whole world and it could fund itself, rebuild itself in the process. So what Russia did was provide the inputs to this global globalized economy that we had. China provided the outputs. China is where you took all these things together, you assembled them in China, sent them off to the rest of the world. And this whole thing is breaking down. So the real thing behind the scenes is these countries are still the countries they've always been, right? Anyone who grew up really since 1990 forward, 1991, when the Soviet Union fell, we lived in this really halcyon fake world where we thought every country was just approaching Canada. You know, everyone was just trying to become Canada. Slowly, <laughs> right. Russia would become Canada, China would become Canada. And that's not the way it works. Russia has invaded Ukraine in various forms like a dozen times. China is an imperialist power in the same way. And history isn't over. It hasn't reached some final end state. And we're just seeing that these same old patterns are going to play out again. 
And they've always like people who kind of really followed this stuff have known that this is the way things are probably going to shake out once the rubber hit the road. And we're, we're there. I, the question that keeps coming to my mind and my kids keep asking me this is the biggest small world and uh, word in the world. Why? Why would Russia do this? What do they want? And why would China have anything to do with it other than the only thing I can always think of is these are just these older, this older generation of guys who, who are dreaming of yesteryear and they have these envisions of power and grandeur. Why would they just suddenly do this? Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, that's what Western media is trying to tell us. I think that the more helpful, but kind of more difficult perspective that I take is that countries are who they are and they have certain needs and interests, concerns and requirements to, to function. And Russia has been invaded over 50 times from the West, uh, from by various forms of various countries through the centuries. And it is a aggressive and vulnerable, insecure nation. I know people, it's very weird to hear people say, oh, Russia of all countries is like this. And I'm going to say this, it's the same thing with China. It's very different. And the reason these two keep get, getting brought up is because you look at the history of, I'll use China as an example, it's much easier. China, you go through history, there's basically nine to 12 iterations of the Chinese state that have appeared throughout history, right? And each one has appeared and then collapsed, appeared and then collapsed. It's expanded and then totally contracted and fallen into pieces. And that is that cycle of Chinese history that just goes on and on. And it isn't done, right? And so the stability that we see in the United States and the stability we assume we see in Western Europe, it's it's not what it looks like. And the reason Russia is doing what it's doing isn't because Putin is crazy or because he has some sort of a disease right now, or he's, he does, I mean, obviously he does want, he does want the Soviet Union back, but he wants the Soviet Union back because the Soviet Union was a version of Russia that had secured the, that was the most secure version of Russia that had ever existed. It had pushed itself into the most Western, Eastern and Southern borders that made it defensible and stable against any sort of external threats. And that is not where Russia is today. Russia is actually a country, I mean, I'll just full out. Russia is a country that is going to collapse within a decade or two, regardless of what happens in Ukraine, regardless of what happens anywhere else. Russia is running out of people. It is, its demography is messed up. So people who are following the, the war in Ukraine, Russia has had to expand the number of the age of reservists, the minimum age for reservists that could come in and join the military to like 40, and I think even 50, because they don't have enough young people to basically to fight a big, massive war of attrition. So the two, do you mind if I just keep, keep spinning on this for a keep second? Keep going, because I already got seven other questions lined up for you. Okay. Just from what you said there. The, <laughs> sure. Well, the two of the biggest trends that we're all going to have to deal with in the next decade, really, in the next 20, 30 years going on, is deglobalization, so the breakdown of that globalized system I briefly talked about earlier, and then we also have depopulation going on. You know, you can go, people go look at Elon Musk talking about how the mm. greatest threat to civilization <laughs> is now the lack of people. Yeah, and that's why he just had triplets with his secretary. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, wow. I did, is, that, is that a new story? Uh, yeah. That, the actually, guy. they had him last November, and he it was just revealed that part of his... Well... Yeah. But anyway, okay, well, 
point point being his his personal life aside right. that that all being true the this is a real issue and unfortunately people in power in every nation in the world and corporate leaders and families nobody knows how to talk about it properly and so you're going to see continuously very 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 poor conversations going on about demography and so when i was in china it was over a decade ago i studied demography at the institute in beijing that implemented the one child policy in china and that policy has been one of the probably the single most disastrous economic demographic policy in all of world history it was one of the worst things i there is a documentary on pbs it is the one documentary that i couldn't finish watching about that and and it followed mostly this artist who wanted to he wanted to document what was actually going on the things that people didn't know it also talked to uh, i think she was something like their um kind of like uh like the medical secretary or whatever the woman who oversaw it all and a few of the other people who were impacted by it and there were so many disturbing things in it um I had to stop watching. It's the only thing I've ever stopped watching. But that, that, I think I've seen that documentary. I, I actually, I think I saw the woman had it screened in Los Angeles. I met her. That it was a woman who was called. She went and visited her family, and they went through the past of the one-child policy. Yes. And yeah. So yeah. So just we don't need to get. This is a very gruesome part of. Yeah, all we don't history, have to but, go into all that. But, but but the gist of it is, how do you prevent? How do you prevent births in a country, in a, a largely rural country, without contraception? Absolutely totalitarian methods that invade privacy and destroy life like you can't imagine. That's, that's the gist of it. Yeah. But what's happened now, this is a very interesting thing. All of the family planning uh, clinics and centers all around China, which were there to basically to do abortions and to control the population, they're now being transformed into fertility clinics to try and expand the population. And this is, I, you know, this is crazy. Everyone who hears this, it is crazy, but this is actually an old pattern. Whenever Chinese dynasty, you know, it doesn't matter, but they, they go up and down. They, they're always trying to expand and contract the population when they want. But we are now at a point where almost every single major country in the world is in a terminal, has a terminal ge geography. I mean, uh, demography, they cannot reproduce themselves. They, so think about it. Basically, you're running out of wounds. You're, you're running out of people that can create people. And once you get your the majority of your population is over 50, over 40, over 50, you can't reproduce yourself. So your population is going to continue to shrink every year and you're going to continue to have older and older people. So the gist of it, a lot of this comes from industrialization. So back in the old day, if you go to like Angola or you go to parts of Africa, you can still see pre-industrial demographies where the way it used to work is you used to have um, a lot of children and then you used to have, you know, zero to 18, then you used to have uh, a bunch more less but still a lot of you know young workers like 18 to 45 then you'd have mature workers very few of them 45 to 65 and you'd have very few post 65 like our version of retirees you would just die you didn't survive now everything is flipping and so what's happened over the last since the you know, 1945 this whole world has been evolving the, the global demographic structure so we used to have that a uh, lot of people at the bottom this is a pyramid you used to have a lot of people at the bottom and lesser and lesser and less people at the top as you got older now it's all been the there's like a big bulge that's just been moving up so you first you had a lot of children and then you had a lot of young workers and then you had a lot of mature workers and now we're about to have a lot of retirees and once you have the bulge at the top you can no longer create more people at the bottom so what's happening is the entire global economic structure i know this is really big level high level stuff but it's the entire thing is going to shift and we're going to have smaller markets smaller populations 
it's 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 the one of the biggest stories in the world and everyone in the world trying to fix it russia has implemented policies to try and fix its fertility hasn't succeeded japan hasn't succeeded iran hasn't succeeded china hasn't succeeded no one has succeeded scandinavia has a little bit but there's consequences well and it's funny that you say this because there are those who here in the united states say that a lot of that is what's behind what happened with roe v wade yeah. So I'm not saying I agree or disagree, but I've heard they, people say exactly what you just said. Yeah. So everyone needs to be prepared for lurking demographic arguments to be in everything, mm -hmm. everything. So people will say that about mass killings, about the gender norms, about changing uh, relations between men and women. Everything is impacted by this at all levels. And it's, it's so comprehensive. It's going to appear everywhere. And it's, it's very, very, very difficult to talk about. And you're not gonna have a good um, conversation about, it. I will say there's part of what happened with industrialization is they used to have like six kids and now you have like two, if at all. And there's two basic ways to try and have a healthier demography. You can, and there's two women have uh, the power over reproduction and the way it works, is you can either force women to have chil children or you could try to encourage them to have children. That's kind of the only way if you need more children and forcing them doesn't work. <laughs> forcing women doesn't work. It's, it's not going to work. It hasn't worked in any like country that's tried it. So the other option, the other, other option really is to try and encourage women to have children. That is much more difficult. And I'll tell you that on the right and the left in, let's say, America, nobody's got it right. For example, on the left, there's much more, uh, let's give maternity leave, let's do a family, all, all this kind of stuff. It's all very good. But what you, well, some of the best evidence we have is that you need to basically just make having a family, having a house, having children, easier. And that means lowering costs all across. Afford. That's what I was going to say. A lot of what happened in America is people just can't afford to have kids. Exactly. Just and so the only it. way to, and the only way to deal with that is across the board improvements in cost, which arguably people will say conservatives might be better at. So that's where this challenge is. Conservatives will often talk about, oh, family and family formation and da, 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 da. And there'll be very little, few policies that support it. The left will have many policies, but they won't be these broad ones that can lower, lower costs across the board, which is really what you need. Because like you said, it's just general affordability. Now, I said I had about seven questions lined up from everything, but this is going to take us back to Russia for a little bit, because like I said, I considering what's been going on in the world, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of times when we hear things, we think, OK, well, this is what's happening between these two countries. Why is China here? So you were talking about Russia and their borders and protecting, you know, expanding back West. Who has been threatening them? What, this is what always fascinates me about these countries. It's, oh, we need to do this because of security. Who has been threatening Russia to the West to make them want to recapture those regions? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really common question. I mean, the gist of it is, again, the countries have, you know, they have personalities, they have histories, they have past experiences in Russia, you know, it's had, it's, it was really punished in the go, go back last 500 years. It's been invaded every century by France, by Sweden, by Germany, et cetera. Nobody wants but, that now though. No, th again, there's a, there's a good argument. There's a great argument to be made, but the problem with Russia is it's, it's losing its internal coherence in general. So we didn't get as much into it. We're talking about the security stuff, but it's economic system is, is broken. It's demography is, is, you know, only China is maybe as bad. It has rampant al you know, alcoholism. It has real health challenges throughout the, the population. Its industry has never recovered from the fall of the Soviet Union. 
it never really developed an advanced service sector. It's just been running off of oil and gas exports, basically to kind of investigate typically in its military, but all of its industries across the board are, they're terminal as well. They really are. And now they've lost all the support from all Western companies. It's all going to start breaking down. And so that's a huge problem. And what's going to happen, what we're already seeing is that this isn't a war like the Iraq war. This is a war where the cascading effects are going to be felt everywhere. We're going to see famine in a lot of the world. We're going to see energy shortages in Europe. It's you know, already started. A lot of the world. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's here now. And unfortunately, we had this very complex global system that was all interconnected. Nobody explained how it really fit together and why and if it was going to last. And now it's breaking down. And it's very hard to explain all the different intricate pieces and then how it's coming apart. But the the only way we can feed the population of the world, the only way we can give people energy, we can have electricity in different places is because you have very intricate supply chains that make it all possible. Right. And a lot of these things come from the former Soviet Union. And it's it's very it's impossible to actually I mean, this is why this stuff is very grim these days, because it's impossible to replace some of these resources. A great example is always China. China is like the largest importer of like every single thing at this right. point because it's so big. But let's let's talk about food for a second. China has 1.4 ish billion people and they're the entire agricultural export market of the entire world cannot help it if it has a, a challenge in its food system, if it has a breakdown, if it doesn't have the fertilizer, if there's an inability to irrigate certain fields because of a lack of electricity, if anything along that line. If there's it's this is the scale of stuff we're talking about now. Now, knowing that and understanding that, I would think, wouldn't China take the opposite approach of what they're taking? Because from what I understand, they are adamantly against the United States being against the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, you know, on the surface, I think, well, that's just them making sure they that everyone understands. No, we're not necessarily best friends with the U.S., but I would think with all that in mind that you just described about agriculture, food, population size, you would think they take the opposite approach and say, hey, yeah, Russia, you can't do this because, you know, Ukraine is called, they're called the bread basket. You know, who depends on them more than China? So why would China say, yeah, go ahead, you know, Putin, go ahead and do whatever you're going to do. And we're against anyone who opposes you. Well, I mean, it's, it gets even deeper than that. I mean, both China and Russia are the two countries that have maybe benefited the most from this whole thing we're talking about the last 30 years. Right. They got brought so into why, the game. Yeah, why, why are you going to break it apart? <laughs> this is, I mean, this is, this is again, it, it's, it's very uh, kind of schizophrenic, but it's really true. They've been working, you know, diligently to try and undermine the U.S. system, particularly Russia. China's tried to create an alternative system. If it actually, you know, it's going to, it's already failed. That's already up but it wanted in the 2010s in particular to like create a brand new Chinese alternative to this American global system. Neither of them panned out. And in fact, if this system, as the system dis starts to break down, they're going to lose the most. It's, I mean, these are countries, I mean, we've, we've seen it again and again, countries don't act rationally. Like they're filled with passions and grievances and all sorts of things, just like any other person. So we, you rarely find at that you know, political level, beautiful, rational economic behavior, just like you don't see it when, all the time when people make it purchases because and you know it just boils back down to my opinion that what happens is these people reach the top they get to a comfortable level of wealth and all they are worried about are themselves their level of wealth and possibly their family their generations to come because honestly if it were me and i know i'm probably just 
I probably, you know, they'll say, well, you don't know all the details. You're just thinking on a basic level. But maybe I am because sometimes I think the basic level solutions are often the best. If I were the leader of China, I would say, hey, we're going to open up. You know, we're part, we're already part of this. Look, I'll just tell you this, Jason. I believe globalization is the future of mankind. And probably this is just my nerdy Star Trek mind. But I believe that is the only way we can exist is as one world. This nation border nonsense, look what it does. Decade after decade, look where we are. Well, I, that idealism is going to be seriously challenged within just a few you know, months and definitely a few years. The, what's happening now is a lot of our ideals about, and this is another higher, higher order kind of picture here, pattern. A lot of our ideals about what we invested in the last 30 years about, let's say, racial harmony, about improving the environment, about battling climate change, about transitioning to renewable energy, bringing all the peoples of the world together, right? Moving borders. All of this, I hate to say it, is it's almost all going to start cracking up. Of course it is. (laughs) And so it's it's really a challenge to to actually deal individually with what are are our ideals now when the rubble is, is all around us. I mean, it kind of feels like World War One in Europe where everyone's like, well, what does it mean anymore? And it's going to be real. I've been you know, talking to many people about this. It's going to be extremely challenging to find out what to do next. And part of the solution is to figure out how we got here and why this worked. Because globalization, glo- a global world has never existed ever no. before. It's never existed. Nope. And the, the many pieces that made it possible they're not immortal. They're not eternal. And they're all kind of going away. So it's, it's, there's not going to be, unfortunately, a globalized world. It's going to be a very dark, brutal, bitter world in a lot, for a lot of regions, a lot of people. And we need to think, we need to see that right up front because if you want to make things better, we got to have a real look at the way things are now. That's at least my perspective. Psst. Hey, you want to get doomed? I'm Tessa. And I'm Nicole. And we have a spanking new podcast for your ear holes called Doom Generation. Listen in as two foul-mouthed biddies have an always casual, often comedic... What? I think we're funny. ...and sometimes chaotic conversation about the things that doomed us to be who we are today. Take a trip with us down Nostalgia Lane and we'll try not to veer off the road. Available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Doom Generation Pod and on Twitter at Doom Gen Pod. Later, Later Doomers! Do you sometimes find yourself scrolling through the internet looking for articles to read only to find that you can't read through them all because you have other things going on? What if someone could read them to you while you tackle other tasks? Well, let me tell you about Newsly. Newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. Simply put, the entire internet becomes listenable all in one place. Browse articles from topics you choose and you can follow any topic as specific as you'd like. From sports to science to Bitcoin, it will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. And guess what? They have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 50 countries. And yes, this podcast, Voluntary Input, is there too. 
Download and use Newsly for free now. Follow the Newsly link and use the promo code in the show notes of this episode and receive a one month free premium subscription. So again, if you ever find yourself scrolling through daily articles, stop scrolling and start listening. Follow the Newsly link and use the promo code in the show notes of this episode and receive a one month free premium subscription. I think the problems really did get exasperated because once we opened up uh, easier communication channels, like for example, you and I right now talking, we're on two different sides of the, the country. You know, I could, I've had, I've done conversations with people on the other side of the world. I feel like the more people have gotten connected and the more technology has brought, you know, shrunk the world, it feels like things got worse. It's like the closer people got, it's almost like the government's got more antsy the closer the people got. Maybe. I think that a lot of these digital connections and the communication connections are a lot more fragile than people think. For example, information doesn't get into China. Oh, true, true. Well, well, that's what I'm saying. As soon as the information was able to get in and out, what did the government do? They cut it off. They're like, no, 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 no. We can't have people talking that easily. (laughs) Yeah, and I'll I'll be honest, the Chinese, I always try to give people perspective about why China in particular does what it does because it's very easy to just kind of demonize it and it deserves to be demonized in a lot of ways. Um, It's pretty horrific, but there is is a reason behind this madness and China just allowing all these, China's just worried about chaos. And the chaos is coming, but there are a lot of things it could have done that would have made it worse. And just allowing freewheeling information from the rest of the world, you know, not everyone's going to be Canada. Like I said, a lot of countries have always had very strict control of information. They have tight security services. They have, they manage their populations and there's good reasons, not good reasons, but there's rational reasons for why these countries developed the way they did. It's rooted in their geographies, their histories, the and not everyone is, is going to develop. I mean, we're also we're at the end of the developing era. Like there's no more developing and developed countries, basically, at this point. That whole period's over. If you haven't developed, you're not going to develop. A lot of places that have developed are going to de-develop. They're going to de-industrialize. They may even de-civilize. It's a, it's a totally different world. If you don't have energy, let's give an example. Germany is you know running on Russian Russian energy. We all know this. And it has it has to play, it has to play a game. It wanted to have its cake and eat it too. And, you know, didn't want to have bad relations with Russia. There's good reasons for why it did what it did. Of course, it didn't see the long-term and even Trump comes into Europe and says, pay for NATO. Maybe you shouldn't have Russian gas. He gets mocked. And it's like, well, even, even Donald Trump went there and told you, so what, what can you do? But yeah, I was just going to bring up Trump is just a random point. But no, but the, the writing was on the wall. The writing was on the wall. Because here's the, the thing. In a way, he was right. It was just the way he said it that didn't come across. <laughs> it's like just the lack, as, of, as always, the as lack always. of tact was the problem, not the yeah. message itself. When, when he was when he was right, there was rarely tact involved. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. So, but the point being, now you, Germany is an industrial exporter. This is how it runs its system. It already has a much smaller uh, demo, de- demographic structure. So, Germany was one of the first countries to industrialize. That was late nineteenth century. And it's had urbanization and smaller spaces and smaller families for a long time. So it needs to export. It's always needed to export its goods to the rest of the world. It needs to export cars to the United States, to, to China, to everywhere. And without that, it can't sustain its level of life, basically. It's its level of advanced uh, economic life. And once you start removing energy, 
you cannot be an industrial power or exporter or anything anymore. What Germany's gonna have to decide in the next couple of months, it's gonna start rationing electricity. Well, do you give it to your chemical plants or do you give it to your car factories? Do you give it to the fertilizer uh, producers? Do you, give, do you make it ammonia? Are you making, this is what's happening. And there's no good answers to this. It's, it's like triage. And it, 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 what, unfortunately, what happens with this is there's even more downstream consequences. So a lot of the chemicals produced in Germany, you know, some of the largest chemical companies in the world go there. They go around the world. They help increase agricultural yields in sub-Saharan Africa. They make certain things possible in Southeast Asia, and it's just going to keep uh, spiraling. And it's it's very challenging, and it's it's dark. Like and quite literally, things could get dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, I titled this "China Revisited." I feel like we should have called it the, "The World at Large" or something, <laughs> because because it does yeah. it, it all ties in together, though. But. I do want to shrink back to China a little bit. So in the midst of all of this turmoil, the, the, the war in Ukraine and blah, 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 Taiwan came up again. What exactly is going on there now? Yeah, so I briefly spoke about, I did a recent podcast episode on, on my show. It's called China Unraveled and it's called The Red Emperor. And it talks at the end about Taiwan. And I wanted to do something larger on Taiwan for people. But the gist of it is... Taiwan is something that China really wants. It's never had official control of it, uh, and it wants it. This is a piece of China that was a basically a renegade province in the views of the Communist Party, but basically the people who lost the Chinese Civil War in 1949, they fled to Taiwan, they took it over, and then the U.S. Navy uh, protected them. And they're now, in, they're, it's its own country, obviously, and the question is, well, what is China going to do about it? Right. For years, it said it wants it demands China become part of the, the mainland. And there's a good reason for it. China is composed of, as you know, we've probably discussed before, mm -hmm. the biggest myth about China is that there's one China. There's actually dozens of Chinas within China. And the fact that you have Taiwan there making it very clear that there's at least more than one China, you're opening up the, the door for a lot of things. So the Communist Party's always wanted to nip that in the butt. But we're long past that. You can't take over Taiwan. If you do try and take over Taiwan, you're looking at something, you know, even two years ago, think tanks put out reports that China could lose up to a third of its military capacity trying to take Taiwan. And that could be a real low ball. It is among, trying to do that. I mean, just to be clear, China wants it because it is part of China. It's very important for its nationalist project. It's very important for its local politics. But the capacity to do it and the economic consequences and the political fallout and everything, it's, it's a different world. Russia has reset expectations. And... China wouldn't succeed. I mean, just be honest, even if you do succeed, you're going to have all this rubble there. It's never going to be rebuilt. And it's dark. We are at a point, though, where things are getting so bad in China that we're waiting for the dominoes to just start falling. Is it going to be agriculture? Is it going to be energy? Is it going to be the property market? Is it going to be some other internal financing thing? Is it going to be bizarre industrial problems? Is it going to be COVID? That to, to reclaim the narrative in some sense could be very powerful. And that is probably the most likely reason that China would actually do something against Taiwan. But like I said, we saw the whole, nobody really, I don't think Russia expected all of the West to band together the way it did. I don't think this is going to last, but it briefly did band together to kind of com combat it. And Japan has already said it would get involved in a conflict over Taiwan because the way, I don't know if we spoke about this before. Japan doesn't have a military. Japan does have a military. I mean, this is a little thing. So basically, the U.S. went in there and rewrote Japan's constitution when we when you we conquered and occupied it, and we said you can only have a pacifist military. 
but particularly Shinzo Abe, who was just assassinated, yeah. his big project, his big project was to enhance the military and basically to transition the Japanese self-defense force to more of a classically Japanese military. And the thing about Japan is that there's an, there's a big chain of islands, the Ryukyu Islands that are part of the southern part of Japan, that, that archipelago, and the very the you know, most southern part of Japan, the southernmost island, you can see Taiwan from that island on a good day. So the any Chinese operation to actually conquer Taiwan would involve, I mean, they'd have to take some of those islands anyway. You're, you're bound for a conflict with Japan. So this is what's going to happen. I mean, that, that's the way things would go. So it's just a disaster. And China, like we said earlier, China needs so many things from the rest of the world. It needs to import so many things. And we're already seeing the real complications when you mess with maritime shipping in the black sea it's been destroying things you have a lot of problems if you mine the taiwan strait you're going to see hundreds of millions of chinese people die within very short amount of time because we're talking famine we're talking energy shortages we're talking just real problems and so the consequences for trying to actually conquer taiwan are insuperable most likely and also the u.s military everything about it there's there's no chance that this would just just happen and like the way china wanted to happen was just to do it go in there kind of stick out it take it and then say well you guys you missed your chance we did it just accept it now that's not going to happen you know what i mean everyone's right. ready everyone's feeling it so they kind of missed their window the, the, the way they wanted to go down and now they don't know what to do because they have to kind of reconfigure their expectations but the, the real thing the real if you see an actual anyone listening to this if you actually see a conflict over taiwan that means things are very very bad in china that's the only reason that would happen. That's the signal. Very, That's the bat very signal. Bad. Yeah. yeah, it's like you're you're doing you're doing this crazy option. The only reason you would do it is because it's it's out of control already. So and it's it's it is really getting pretty close. So good I, and again, that brings me back to the, the my my question. I mean, why 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 would you let this happen as a as a leader of a of a country of a great country? Why would you get to this point? You know, that would be my question for Putin too. Is Dude, why, why would you do this? Because, look, I'm just going to put it out there. In my opinion, and I said this kind of towards the beginning, I believe Ukraine's going to fall. But the problem is, then what? It's just going to yeah. be rubble, like you said, what Taiwan would be. Because what's Russia going to do with Ukraine? I mean, look at all the resources they've already dumped in and have lost. They're not... Well, what are you going to rebuild? Where? How? The dark... The dark part behind the Ukraine war is that Ukraine isn't the final goal. Oh, we right? know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Ahead. You, you that, explain it. Go ahead. I. <laughs> well, it's just, like I said, the Soviet Union was a really secure version of Russia. It's the most secure version ever. And it pushed pretty far into Europe. It pushed you know, towards Romania. You know, there's a bunch of gaps. You've heard, you probably, you probably, everyone's hearing on the news, the Bessarabian gap, all this kind of stuff. And Russia basically wants to move to the Baltics. It wants to move towards Warsaw, it wants to move towards Romania. It wants to do all this stuff. But the, the big difference in the world today is we are living in a world of depopulation. We have exhausted countries. Like this isn't World War II, where you have endless soldiers you could just throw out. Russia, I, I actually do think it will, we'll see. I mean, I think it will succeed in, in Ukraine as well, but it's this brutal, I mean, Grozny style, art, just destroy everything in front of you right. type artillery heavy operation, which is, the way Russia still fights, turns out Russia is really not anything like the United States uh, in terms of its military capacity, but it does have this method. And it's a brutal method, but it's 
trying to continue that all the way through, it, it's very dark. Most likely things are going to die. Ideally, things will die in Ukraine. Like hopefully this war stalls out there. And it's, I think that might be the best case scenario, but Ukraine, I, I don't see Ukraine being rebuilt. I mean, I don't see Ukraine transforming. I mean, this is, think about what it would mean to invest billions of dollars into a country that was just invaded. And we're even seeing this in Europe in general. The CEO of Volkswagen said the best place to invest is in the United States. Strategic challenges in Europe, strategic challenges and geopolitical challenges in China are so intense that the only safe place in the world is the United States. And we're seeing this with capital markets. We're seeing this with the currency. The U.S. currency is at like a 20-year high. The there's, there's a flood of money and everything into the United States. There's an industrial build-out in the United States. It's a crazy time. And what is happening is that as things get worse in the rest of the world, things are getting... Things are moving to the United States. So you have a bizarre situation. We have crazy inflation and crazy job, not crazy, but very good job growth. It's a, it's a, again, this is a total reconfiguring of the world that we know. A lot of old correlations, old uh, symmetries, they're, they're breaking down. But it is, a, it is a, a truth that basically Taiwan wouldn't get rebuilt either. Ukraine right. wouldn't get rebuilt either. Why would you ever do it? Um, and even more, the Taiwanese population is another one that's really aging. So you're going to have this problem. Russia doesn't have the people. It can't likely can't even push towards Germany. These are these are old. These are old. Like sixty year olds aren't going to war. So we, we don't know. We don't know what military, what politics and war looks like in the middle everybody of the can't be a gen- Everybody can't be a general. So exactly. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> yeah. So like you're looking at a thing where the, the countries that can do it, it's like well, you got to have a lot of technology, a lot of capital, a lot of labor, and you got to have drones. I mean, the countries that could actually wage crazy war. You, know, you look at the United States in a very small number of countries. So it's different. I mean, we haven't seen this is again, this is this big shift. It's this the, the global board, you know, I, I like to you know give this analogy where everyone's played risk before, where there's oh, you know, you're I trying love to take over risk. the world. Yeah, it's one of my it's yeah. my favorite board game. Really? Yeah, oh, it's yeah. a perfect <laughs> it's a perfect game because it shows you how there's different um, different areas have different sort of natural bounties and you could sort of accumulate them and grow larger and you fight and people have different pieces of it and you see who wins out. The what, Part of what history has been, has been this journey of, of humans to go scavenge all around the world and find the best places to be that produce the most resources and do that. And what's happened now is we've seen that the game is played out. The best place to be in terms of economics, security, wealth, uh, political stability, all of this is North America. It's it's kind of over. Even after World War II, we knew this. The United States had went and fought a war, won a war in Europe and Asia at the same time. And it was like, well, why would you invest in France when you could invest in the United States? Right. It was actually a nationalist project. So we're talking about nations and how we want a globalized world. In a truly globalized world, most nations will disappear and every, you know, and a few winners will appear, and then everyone else's histories and cultures and nations and civilizations will just crumble because the, there's a tendency to move towards the winning places. And what nationalism does and you know, the way we structure things, you need carve-outs. France needs to keep its industry, keep its energy, keep its airline and do all this kind of stuff if it wants to have its own coherent internal system. And that's a big reason why the globalized thing isn't going to work. We don't have a better grouping for identity above nationality. We've tried. And I've worked in international law. I've tried to you know, did things years ago to help create structures that would work and global administration, it does none of it works. None of it works. And it's without the US military in particular enforcing things, n- literally none of it works. Well, I literally. told you that was just my 
nerdy dream, you know. Yeah. Jane, blame uh, Gene Roddenberry. You know, he planted that seed in my head. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the way things should be, <laughs> you know, in a perfect world. And um, But, you know, you talk about loss of cultural identity, loss of history. That's the thing that, um, especially when it comes to, and we talked about this last time, like a country like China. I just think, it, you know, it's a beautiful culture. It's a beautiful country, rich history, just so much that could be lost. That's what frustrates me about countries like that. Uh, the leadership, why would you risk that for what, you know, it, it simply can't be that hard. Okay. You got a lot of people. There's gotta be another way to figure out how to take care of everybody. If you, yeah. if you could put your mind to it, let's say, Let's say they called you over. They said, let's bring that Jason guy from America over here. He's going to help us out. What would be some of the things you would tell China? Look, you guys need to start here. It's, it's way too far gone. Man. I mean, <laughs> it's so just like, like, like they really, China, what China, China went for broke. Like no country did at the scale and the speed that China did in the last 40. I mean, it's just never, like nobody tried harder. Obviously it didn't do everything right. It did a lot of things wrong, but. I mean, it, it, it went, it, it, you know, it tried. You can't say it didn't do it. I mean, you could poke at these things. I think a deeper thing is that the global system isn't, you know, st a steady state, stable thing. It's not. And a lot of countries, I mean, the, 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 bru the brutal truth is that most countries don't have what it takes to be a country at all. And if we didn't have this globalized world where you, you could get energy, you could get energy from here, food from there, you could sell things over there, everything was free, everything traveled the ocean, there were no pirates, everything was reliable, you didn't need ships to manage your goods or to make sure no one took it or that all this stuff. If you didn't have that, most countries disappear. They can't, 75% of countries actually can't provide, governments can't provide basic services to their people. They need aid to do it. You don't have one thing, you, <laughs> not even one thing that you would tell them, start here, China. And this no, may help you along the way. <laughs> you know, it, it's just, I, what, I, what I've been trying to do the last few years is trying to give people a sense of what, what China is and what it did and what it tried and why it failed. And I, the, the, the takeaways, the key takeaways aren't for what China could do. It's for what we can learn and what we can do. Because the truth is, the, like I said, that the global the, the risk game is over and the opportunity to make things better and make things happen is in North America. So we just have to learn the lessons of other places and try and be wiser, try and be, try and take it in and try and work hard because you're not going to see anything good in China. You're going to see some pretty horrible things in China. And we already have, I mean, let, let's be honest. You have, you have a genocide, you have a genocide going on in Northwest China. You have the massive oppression of, of the city of, of Hong Kong. You, I mean, there's, you could just go on, you could go on and on all the things that have been going on. You know, there's Tibetans, there's, it, it just goes on and on. There's, this is, the way China's always been. And I think a deeper thing is we need to learn to accept countries for what they are. And then we'll start to see more about why it's not all about the political leaders. Cause that's something where I kind of, you and I don't see quite eye to eye is I think a lot of these things doesn't actually relate to the specific political leader. It's more the nature of the country and what it feels it has to do. Uh, and often countries don't have good hands. They're not dealt a good hand. And it doesn't matter. Okay. Who's leader? I can agree with you on that. Yeah. And, and you know, everyone who knows me, I, I'm an optimist, almost to a fault. So I'm always looking for, there has to be at least one thing that could at least make something spark some better change for something. But it sounds like you're saying, 
China. <laughs> we just gotta watch I mean, it. We just gotta watch it burn, I guess, right? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you don't. I mean, like I said, everybody's ideals are getting really challenged right now. The reason I get into this abstract thing is because there's no little practical fixes to this. I mean, this is 1.4 billion people. It's got it's a mega state. It's got the biggest political hierarchy, biggest organization ever is the Communist Party, right? The Chinese state is the biggest state humanity's ever created, the largest bureaucracy. You know, it's not about, you know, hey, you need a new Microsoft Office product or something to kind of try and fix this. It's, <laughs> you need an update. It's very different. Yeah. yeah, you just, you know, you need some new uh, software and it'll all change. It really isn't that. It goes deeper. And the, it's just, Russia's just the best example where Russia kind of taking over Crimea and invading Ukraine, that's what Catherine the Great did. She did the same thing. Like if you go back and you could see sultans, you know, Ottoman sultans and German kaisers, you know, British prime ministers, they would all look at what Russia's doing and be like, yep, that's Russia doing its thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we've yeah, lost that. Yeah. We've lost that. China dealing with, you know, broke, you know, trying to keep itself together. You know, that's, that's China. That's what it's been doing forever. We've just lost it. I, I really, really quick. I think it's this. We lived in this globalized world and we lost the sense for what life is on the ground and the geography and why. Like what's really interesting about Ukraine is how it's brought back geography, how now we have to look, okay, they need to cross this bridge. They need this hill. This is where this city is. Here's the port. And really it's often military commanders, intelligence officers, people like that who have to deal with this stuff on the ground. They, they, they see it. They know it. We've all had it abstracted away. We fly over all these regions. We go to the airport and we go to the hotel. We Everything's don't know pretty at the, at the airport and hotels. Everything's clean and pretty. Yeah. And we don't know. Yeah. yeah. And there's conflicts. You know, there are ethnic groups that one lives in one place. One lives next to them. There's a, there's a river, there's a bridge, there's a this. And, you know, there's hills, there's a desert there. All of this stuff really matters. And it's tough. I've been, for a while, I've been working on a course that will try and give people a, a bit of a primer on the way things look just on the ground because you better know now i mean there's it's it's all breaking down and we need the new the new the new read but it is it is a real challenge and i can agree with you i think i, I think it's possibly because for so many years things were okay as far as we were concerned you know there weren't all these yeah. major conflicts that we're seeing now things were they were you know quote unquote fine everything was fine yeah things weren't perfect things will never be perfect but everyone was fine yeah. And now, like you said, everything's starting to come unraveled. Now it's like, oh my gosh, what do we do? Well, yeah, it's 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 a it's I keep it's funny all the words I've been saying: grim, gruesome, heinous, brutal. These are my words this episode, but it it's a challenge. I mean, we we did we grew up in a a really privileged, special time of history. But you look back at history, history in easy. It's not fun. It's not simple it's not it's all there's always like you go back to any decade there's a war somewhere like a big one people have been conscripted there's a famine there's a you know what i mean it's we, we've just lost sight we, we thought we were really heading towards something beautiful and unified um and i really do worry about how people respond to the actual reality of the world we're walking into it's not an easy one to kind of get get a get a grip on i think but like you said to, we we've been the world has been here before technically none of this is new it's cycles. Like you said, it, it just comes and goes in cycles. We just wish that, I just wish that we had a better system of communication between like me, you know, the businesses, the governments, the, like it's all become so poor. Like, yeah, there's well, ve yeah. It's very hard to get, like we're, everyone is just watching a, a slow motion train wreck with COVID. That was one. And there was a slow motion train wreck with the Ukraine war where you're just kind of doled out 
one little bit of information after another, and it's just slow, but nobody ever bothers to tell you the full pattern. And if you just kind of read the news, they want you to just follow every day. It's like, you're going to go crazy if you do that. Just what I try and provide is some of the larger patterns so you can see a bit more into the future, make better decisions, be more grounded and have more confidence about where things are going. It's so hard to find that now. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I loved having you on the last time. And one of the reasons why I wanted to have you back on, because yeah, you've offered some great information. Like you said, we, you don't hear all of these details in the news. Now there are some great uh, documentaries and some great coverage, but unfortunately the, the majority of the population, I don't believe have access to it. Like there, it is out there. You know, people love to say, oh, all the news is horrible. And I will say it sometimes too. But the truth of the matter is, I don't think all the news is horrible. It's the most popular news, the most easily available news is what's the tends to be the most horrible because it's it's so much headline grabbing and sensationalism. And I'm I'm I really appreciate people like you because I've always been a person who starved for details. You know, you can tell me, hey, there was a wreck up the street. The first thing I'm going to start asking you for is details. <laughs> Give me more. I don't need to know. Yeah. Oh, this is what happened. Well, no, I need to know why it happened. Who was there? Blah, blah, blah. What led yeah. to it? How can it be prevented? Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, but it's yeah, somber. And, <laughs> yeah, it is somber, but I'll say that there's still, I'm also an optimist and the, you, we just, and I think optimists, optimists naturally will take in this information and you'll see where the, the good stuff can happen and you try and try and make it better. And I, I'll tell you the thing that I am most disappointed with when I talk about news, and it's really across the board, is how we're dealing with this depopulation challenge. We have no good conversation about it. You have Elon Musk doing that thing. It comes off as really misfiring and awkward and just what is he because doing? It's all very weird. of tact. Again, once again, yeah, <laughs> no tax. No, it's it's a huge it's a huge challenge. But also, people are like, "Well, how do we not talk about it? I have to talk about it," and then you do it poorly, and then people don't talk about it. Like it's just really funny. You can go back the last fifteen years, and you'll see, oh, an article in the Economist: Japanese population is declining, and it might impact things later on. Right. German population is declining. It's like we're here now. It's it, we just again we slow walked into it, and we were just you know telling ourselves it's all going to be okay, but it is really. A different system and i don't know nobody wants to talk about it. i mean the truth is if you're a business publication this is a great example if you're the wall street journal and you want to tell people because part of what happens when you have a well, deglobalized and depopulated world is you have smaller markets everywhere everywhere so that means that every single business that is saying hey we're going to be a trillion dollar company hey we're going to it's like oh really you don't have <laughs> really <any workers. laughs> it's like you're not gonna have, well you're gonna have workers or consumers right it's both and, I mean, and, that, that's the thing. and part of the honest truth is for us as Americans, we often see those stories, like you said, oh, the Japanese population is declining. We have this thing where, oh, that's too bad for them. You know, yeah. you know, we always feel like none of this stuff impacts us because it's not happening here. It is. I mean, the truth is it is happening here. It's happening slower here, but there's a lot of inbuilt forces that are making family formation, relationships, children, all this stuff more difficult. And I, I will say everyone is always blaming many things for what is causing these problems. But I will say people should focus on industrialization. If you go back with the data, these trends, they go far back and they're happening in all sorts of countries here. They're not happening with specific, only with specific ethnic, ethnic groups and they're not happening only in specific countries. It's really happening everywhere. So it's very important to just have a, a sense of what the sort of ultimate cause was as well as the many things that may be accelerating it or might be able to help it. 
but it is a real major trend. And unfortunately, we, we don't have uh, the best the best read on it, right? It's just a, a hard thing to get a handle on. And we don't really want to talk about it either. It's Whenever anyone talks about it, it always comes out as weird. I've tried to give some context for it, how the right talks about it, how the left talks about it, why there's communication problems. But even that is, it, it's very hard to, to communicate with people. But I hope, I hope well, people I think, listen. Uh, yeah, I, I, a lot of times I think the problem with that, unfortunately, is a lot of people don't want to hear it, especially when you start talking about left and right, because especially here in the States, the tendency is that people believe they need to defend their own political ideology. So if you say something ne negative against their side, quote unquote, they automatically get defensive and they stop listening to you. You know, if you say something about my guys, oh, I'm automatically going to counter you. And that's just been a problem here for far too long, in my opinion. That's why I yeah. never... I never try to land on sides like that. I just tell me the truth. You know, tell me you got the information. You you're learned. You've studied it. You have the data. Even if it's you know, you could say something completely attacking me, but if it's the truth, I have to say, oh my gosh, Jason, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I think honestly, it's it's not even a left or right thing. I think the left and the right in almost every country has gotten this wrong. <laughs> well, just, yeah, these, but these, nobody, these are problems. You say yeah, it's hard are, to talk about it because no one wants to hear it because they feel like you're attacking their side. Yeah, or even I think also <laughs> attacking their choices. Right. Oh, what, if you don't, yeah. what if you what if you don't want to have children? That's I mean that's a simple thing, and it's like well, no one can only force you. Right. right? Uh, but it, it again, it gets it gets to very very deep questions, and like you mentioned earlier, uh, abortion. Uh, the, the Roe v. Wade, all of these things, they're going to be lurking. The idea of population, oh, maybe we'll just get rid of abortions and soon we'll have more children. We'll just be, we'll, we'll, we'll force the issue. And again, I, I don't I don't think that's the reason for this specifically, but, I don't need, but. This, is, this, is, this is going to be everywhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a challenge. I mean, I will say there's so many opportunities people should think about. You know, China is not a place to invest. I, I tell you know, customers and clients and people that, China's a place like Russia, where if you have a lot of operations and assets in China, you could see it all written off, just like people saw all their stuff written off in Russia. That's probably where things are headed. You're probably not going to be able to fly over China pretty soon. Like many of these things are, there isn't in any thing that is heading towards a, a good conclusion to this this saga. And there's, there's nothing. Uh, and all the lines are hardening within China, within the political system. There's major challenges. There's a a real consolidation of uh, power on Xi Jinping, and he's really trying to manage a system that is way beyond any one man to handle, way, 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 way beyond it. And there's real economic dysfunction, like mass dysfunction across all Chinese industries. The tech sector, which was the big, you know, this was the hope of the, the new Chinese economy that would move away from heavy industry, move away from real estate, move away from cheap exports, would be this real global technological powerhouse. That whole industry is getting crushed getting crushed in part by the communist party itself which is trying to establish reassert control over channels of information potential political activity and real sources of wealth so it's happening and this is a pattern that's been repeating in china for at least a thousand years and we're seeing this next step and once this starts this is tough i mean this is going to be the, the political state is going to do absolutely everything it can to so that, to hold the center and again it's a terrible you know it's it's a terrible state, but when China really goes south, I don't know if I might have spoken about this last time, when China really goes south, there's really nothing like it. Northern China is actually the bloodiest place on earth ever in human history. More people or humans have died there 
particularly in war and violence and, and battle than anywhere else. It's probably not even close because there's, there's been so many people for so long and it's violent, man. It is violent. So ultimately you say that's pretty much coming. I mean, the writing's pretty much on the wall. China in and of itself is just going to collapse. But yeah, let's say that. Okay, so all that happens. What do you think of um, a future for China after all that happens? Um, more than likely, the Communist Party would be deposed, you say. Um, there would be fighting amongst provinces or whatever. Then what happens? After the dust settles, what do you think would be the future of China? So whenever so the, the the great theme of Chinese history is the you know the appearance the appearance of the emer the basically the the collapse of empire and the you know re, the resurgence of empire it's just the cycles of order and chaos that's really what it's about in China and whenever the major uh, the major organized hierarchical political state fails you get uh, devolution and chaos is typically what happens so the best example is the Qing Dynasty that was the most recent one 1911 they had the the Xinhai Revolution, it was called, and it wasn't much of a revolution. It was really just a devolution where the state just broke into pieces. And you had little power centers form all over the country, and they just started duking it out. The major challenge, again, today is that we're in a real different part of history, where you're an industrialized society, and you have hundreds of millions more people than you can support without industrial agriculture or industrial uh, technologies in general. So China is going to have a real... Uh, in the, the scale of the devastation that we're probably going to see in China is kind of hard to talk about without sounding like a crazy person. But the the gist of it is that the entire system is built to have the endless resources come funneling in, right? And when you don't have that, you can't have China at all, really, in any, in any sense of it. So what you're going to see is a breakdown. You're going to see the Communist Party try and hold a, a core region, probably northern China, where it's, it's the most easily... Uh, defensible, not defensible, really the, the most uh, coherent chunk of territory. Most of China is a really a big motley mess. And it's going to be a real challenge. It's going to have to deal with maritime states, going to have to deal with southern Chinese port cities trying to do their own thing. Because a lot of parts of China don't have the energy or the food resources they need. So when the communist, when the, um, the Great famine happened during, you know, you, everyone's heard of this, the largest famine in human history happened in China in the, during the Maoist era. And it was because they were trying to do all these crazy policies and work. But what happened on the ground is that certain regions that had a lot of food actually suffered more famine because their food gets sent to wherever the, 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 the powers that be are. So you get very weird differential things where you're taking this from this region to make this work and to do this and do that. And once that starts happening, it really becomes a, a fight of all against all. And it's very, very difficult to stop. I mean, what the, the real challenge for China is always how do you come back together? And usually you do it by force. One guy you know, takes over the region, takes over another, and then you sort of get bigger and bigger and bigger. But the period of chaos in between imperial reconsolidations in China can really go on for a real long time. And I don't know what you do when you have a depopulated, you have, you have depopulation going on, you have a crazy gender imbalance in China, you have the large, the most aging the fastest aging civilization in all of human history. And then you're going to have basic, you're going to be deindustrializing. In some sense, China has developed an industry that's meant for this globalized world. It produced you know, a third of all manufactured goods or assembled at least a third of them in 2019 and a bit more probably 2020, 2020 2021. That, that market doesn't exist anymore. Like we talk about this global market is going to break down. So if it's bad for Germany, which is much smaller, it is, it, it's it's there's no way to fix it for China. There's no there's no evolution of the current Chinese 
polit political or economic model that can handle this. And what the China state is doing is just really just trying to tighten the hatches to when, when the kind of the flood really hits, they can you know, withstand some part of it. But it's not going to be able to do it in its, in its current form. And there's not, again, I think people really don't have a sense for what chaos really means. The, what, what, what actual chaos means is, is China when things go bad. Both of the, the worst civil war, wars in human history, which before the 20th century, they were just Chinese civil wars, just, just Chinese civil wars. And the, the, no, we've never seen a country as large as China that breaks down. And it's, it's, it's going to happen. The, the rise of China was, was spectacular. The collapse will be even more, even bigger fireworks. All right. Well, <laughs> on that happy note, <laughs> on that happy note. <laughs> yeah. I do want to thank you once again for coming on, Jason. Um, you know, because it, it, as disturbing as it sounds, like you said, the data is there, the writings on the wall, the history speaks for itself. It is what it is, like people like to say. But I do want to thank you once again for coming on and sharing again. Now, you said you're working on a book? Yeah. When, when can we expect to see that? Yeah, hopefully it should be out by the end of the year. It's called China Unraveled, and it's going to go through all of this. And a lot of what I'm doing now also is just I'm trying to give people the, the play for what happens next, right? The globalized era is over. The China story is over. The integration of Europe you know, is breaking down. What do we do next? So I talk with a lot of businesses, a lot of individuals about how to navigate through where we're going, because what I've done after bringing this wealth of information about China and how it integrates into the world, how it all came together, is when this all breaks down, it helps you see what's coming on the backside. And that's really valuable. Now I want to help people, you know, produce more things, get more opportunities out in the world and make it happen. Cause we really need that now. Things aren't, aren't looking great. So anyone who's trying to do something wants a bit of a cue about what to do, you can reach out to me. And I also have all sorts of content people can check out. There's, I think the four is you got Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram. There's all sorts of stuff on there. Uh, like I said, I'm also kind of working on a course and people can find little bits of it. Instead of just talking about China and Russia and all this, I'm talking about the deeper things. Well, why is this river here? Why is this people here? Why is this industry here? And it's trying to get back to seeing things from the, from the ground up and kind of knowing where, where things are headed. Cause we're, we're having a return to a lot of the way things were like, so no, knowing how it looked on the ground and why really helps us to, to know what to do moving forward. So that's all that. And I hope people enjoyed it. I hope people can check it all out. There's a lot of good stuff. And this was a great interview and a great conversation again, Leo. Once again, yes, as, as I'd expected, I knew it would be. And again, thank you. Um, and as usual, welcome back anytime when the book comes out, you can come back. I'm definitely grabbing a copy. Definitely. Uh, so, so thank you once again. And as usual, everyone, uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you know where to find me. Just go to voluntaryinput.com. There you can find all the episodes or you can find everywhere you can listen to the show. Uh, I'm not going to name all the platforms because we're pretty much everywhere. And if you have any questions, comments, or show ideas, just select contact and shoot them my way. Better yet, if you want to be a guest on the show, just select register as a guest because we're always looking for great guests like, like you, like Jason. Come on anytime. <laughs> Thank you once again, Jason. You have a great rest of your evening. You we'll see. Thanks you. again. Bye-bye. <laughs>